Hey, Minus 3 is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds and markets for the NHL Stanley Cup Playoff Final, which... Maybe has one more game to it. Major League Baseball and oh so much more. Great new and existing user promos. FanDuel's America's number one sports book because it's easy to use. It's safe and secure. You get your winnings delivered in as quick as two hours. And of course, any day there is a game going on, there's the same game parlay. You can discover the most popular same game parlays each day right when you log in. And if you're new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. We just ask that you use the promo code minus three, the word minus the number three, so they know we sent you an Eddie Spaghetti. Let's get this one going. Minus three with Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to Minus Three. We're ready to roll here. Much to kibitz about the NBA draft on Thursday night. NHL Stanley Cup final game five on Friday night. And then baseball, baseball, and a lot of pro football talk coming at you. In the meantime, Arch Manning is on his way to Texas, and Gronk has retired, and an exciting overtime in Game 4. Let's talk about all of it with our guy in Los Angeles, but his heart remains in New England. It's Kevin Hench. What's the poop, fella? How you doing? I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, I I just got to say, to, to the FanDuel sports book of it all. Okay, so late regular season, I hammered the Avalanche at plus 350. I, I never backed off that. I mean, obviously, they didn't give me any reason to deviate from that pick. But again, I hope some loyal listener said, that sounds like a good, I mean, plus 350 sure sounds good now that they're minus 900. Um, so, and then... You know, as, as much as it, it broke my heart to do so, I picked the Warriors not just to win the series, but in six, that was plus 400. So, you know, we're we're doing well by our listeners. And you, I do not believe he was the favorite when you gave out Austin Matthews as MVP. I don't remember exactly what the number was, but I feel like it was it was a bit of a ballsy pick when you said Austin Matthews for MVP, that ticket cash. And then last night, Wednesday night, overtime, you text us Nazem Kadri plus 1300 to be, to score the game winner. And I just think, you know, we're making dreams come true here. Amen. Amen. And uh, so much to talk about, you know, it was a nightmare slash dream. We talked a week ago before the dubs wrapped it up against yourselves. And you said, maybe it will be a relief. I hope that's what you've experienced emotionally and spiritually, that at least the struggle is now over and you can move forward with, with your life. Where do you rate just off the top of your head, Hench? Where do you put these Golden State Warriors? Obviously, KD was a major factor right in the middle of, I don't think you call it a dynasty, but in the age of free agency, it's hard to really have a dynasty, you know, the way we would consider one. The same, you know, 10 or 20 guys, if it's a football team, um, doing, uh, you know, winning titles over the course of a decade or whatever. But where do, where do these dubs rank for you against Showtime? Lakers and your Celts of the 80s and the Jordan Bulls and the early aught Lakers, so on and so forth. Well, I think you can, I, I you know, again, it's uh, an idiotic semantic debate about what does the word dynasty mean, but I certainly think they qualify. I mean, 
you know, Kerr, Draymond, Steph, like Clay, the nucleus endures through through the whole thing. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I think it was horrible that Ke- Kevin Durant went to a 73-win team. Like, I think there should actually be mechanisms in place to prevent that. Like, you, you know, they win 73 games and Kevin Durant takes the laziest, most chicken shit way to go collect his rings on a team that was literally going to win without him. Uh, and then, of course, he chooses Kyrie over those guys. And it's so delightful. So, I mean, I feel like the fact that they win titles on either side of Durant, uh, I, I certainly would call that a dynasty. And then the debate is, does Durant get invited to the 25th anniversary party of the dynasty? I don't, uh, <laughs> no, I think he's I think he's ruled himself out with his comments post, uh, uh, you know, time in uh, in the Bay Area. Um, I still think as remarkable as this run is, and it's a big three, you know, with Draymond Clay and and, and you say Kerr was there for all of it, too, along with Steph. Um, also, the team that gets slept on the most in these and I skipped right over him is the Spurs with uh, with Duncan Parker and Ginobili. Um, and I guess that's fair to do because if you're making your hierarchy of the ones that we've witnessed, that would be the lowest down or it's a, just cause it's boring. You see, maybe the indictment and maybe they deserve it because they were the most boring one and people don't like boring. And that's why I am here to celebrate the Colorado avalanche on the cusp of a cup. I hope we just had a great conversation a couple of days ago with Scott Pianowski uh, here on minus three. I encourage you nay demand. You go back and listen and not necessarily who's the best, but so dominant for a stretch that you force league wide change, either in the rules or everybody adopts your style of play because it works so well. You can say that in the negative about the New Jersey Devils in 1995. They nearly killed the sport with sport with uh, with the skill free clutch and grab crap in the neutral zone. But you can positively say that about the warrior style, I guess up to a point because now everybody shoots the three ball and the game feels like a mess. In the meantime, one guy we didn't shout out was Gronk. And he really did along with Jimmy Graham, I guess, kind of force defensive changes and how you try to stop uh, a guy who can kill you 12 yards at a time like, like Gronk could First of all, I'm interested in your reaction to his so-called second retirement, whether or not that stands. But also, do you feel like Gronk deserves a ton of credit for humanizing Tom Brady? Nobody liked him a decade ago. Was that because of Deflategate and the videotape stuff? Or was it because he never portrayed himself to have any emotion until Gronk arrived? How say you? Oh, that's that's interesting. I mean, obviously, I don't care if my players that I root for, for are personable. I don't really understand that. I always liked that Brady was a humorless automaton because I was like, good boy, good boy. You do your job. <laughs> you do your job. Don't make with the funny. I don't do commercials. Let you get, you win rings. That's your job. And so then Gronk, the goofball who, you know, obviously, you know, Brady couldn't sleep at night if he lost and Gronk was going out dancing. Like, Gronk didn't care. Uh, But so, I mean, maybe Brady gets a little bit of that reflected humanity being around Gronk. What I will say about Gronk 
our, our buddy Mike Mance just uh, sent me the, the the Instagram highlight reel of Gronk's most ridiculous plays. He is the Barry Sanders of tight ends. Like, you know, obviously the, the, the moves will look different because of the nature of the size, but like he's making defenders look as bad in his way as Barry Sanders made them look in his way. I mean, Gronk is just, he just throws guys to the ground and then he gets like, he gets up to speed so fast. Like he's completely stopped while he's, you know, arm fighting with the tackler. And then he throws that guy to the ground and then he's, then he's up to four five, five in like a second and he's pulling away from guys. So I do think the, the, the numbers are there and then the highlights and then the postseason, you know, and, and I don't know if this is, if people are arguing against this, but I definitely think he's number one of all time at that position to your point about changing the game. I, you know, I, like I said, uh, Sal and Marty on extra points on Thursday, I, I'm down for most any debate, but this is feels like a silly waste of time. I don't care. You know, don't be such a slave to numbers. Obviously, if you know, if you've listened to me at all, you know, I don't care who has the most points in NHL history. It doesn't make you the best player of all time. Emmett Smith is the all time leading rusher. Nobody talks about him as the best ever. So let's not abide by what Tony Gonzalez caught from where I, I don't care what Tony Gonzalez did. Gronk was empirically a better player. If you turned on your TV, why the signature play to me is the catch he made over the shoulder with the game on the line in Denver, the game they ultimately lost. That was that was the signature of his career. How say you? God, there's so many. Obviously, in that Chiefs AFC championship game, when they they send him wide uh, against Barry, that catch is, is, you know, that play, just having that, they also in the Seahawks Super Bowl, you could just flank him out and mm-hmm. he could beat a DB. Um, and then, of course, the catch against the Rams in the Super Bowl that sets up the only touchdown of that Super Bowl. I mean, there there's so many that come to mind. The, the incredible thing about that highlight reel is how many there's a play against the Colts where it looks like he pinballs every defender. Like he knocks everyone down like like uh, Earl Anthony knocking over bowling pins. Like so to your point, I don't Tony Gonzalez was a great player. Antonio Gates was a great player. I just don't think teams were like, we're doomed. We have no answer for this guy. Our, our entire week will be spent preparing for this guy. And also because we've beco- we're becoming increasingly slaves to the numbers where football is concerned. That's always been the case with baseball, and it's what baseball has over every other sport is its history numerically, statistically, and it's how you, you know, it's what uh, James Earl Jones waxes about at the end of Field of Dreams, the ability to your mark in history and tracking your generation's ball players and all of that. But it's an emerging thing with analytics and otherwise but we abide by them too much in my opinion you know some guys didn't have the length of dominance but um you know Jimmy Graham for a minute was unstoppable catching the ball with Drew Brees I mean they remember when they would put him at the goal line and they would literally put dude two DBs to jam him at the line of scrimmage because one couldn't do it to him um I still say maybe the more interesting conversation is who's the second best tight end we've seen in our lifetime I didn't see Ditka play so he doesn't go for me I'm gonna go with Kellen Winslow senior yeah well uh you know again if you're if you're looking for peak five years 
that's that's a good argument. You know, uh, that's always a tough one. The 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 Gonzalez, Witten, Gates longevity, like you just pile up numbers. Um, I you know I I remember uh, Todd Christensen uh, being. Oh yeah, that's a great a little, one. A little unstoppable, and of course the ghost. I mean, Dave Casper. It's so funny when you grow up watching football when we did, and you're like. Dave Casper, you can't, you, nobody can cover him. And then you look at his football card, you're like 37 catches for the year. <laughs> it's so true. Right. It's funny in the same way that we, we, we had the conversation about Aaron judge and what he's doing this year with the home runs. It feels like almost every day, but right. When Kevin Mitchell, what year was that? 87, 88, when he was 89, somewhere around there, when he was on the giants and he was hitting all those home runs, it felt like it happened every day. And you look it up, it was like, or, or even Cecil Fielder, Prince's dad, was like forty six, huh? Felt like it felt like he hit about one hundred and twenty eight, but uh, but as it turns out, it was a it was roughly half of that, that. That was there were so many incredible things in that Mets eighty six Mets documentary that Sal and Jimmy made that I you know was chastised for not watching on night one because it was the most painful sports experience of my life. But I did love it. I did I did steal myself to make it through it. And the best part of the breakup of that team, that non-dynasty, because it was like, we got to break this team up, was shipping Mitchell out, the one guy who didn't do drugs. <laughs> and you gotta, you gotta think there was some racism there, right? It's like, hey man, this team has a huge drug problem. Well, get rid of Mitchell. He's got to be a drug addict, right? No, he doesn't even drink beer. Oh shit! How many home runs does he have for the Giants? Oh, forty-seven. Damn, I guess we shouldn't have done that. Well, yeah, he misses the steroid window. He could have indulged it. He he went against it, and he maintained his uh, his zoftic figure. In, oh, in speaking of steroids, I, I such a rough moment uh, Wednesday night, last night, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, so Clemens' kid plays for the Tigers, right? And uh, Rocket was in the booth for the you know he's he does an inning in the Red Sox booth. And I'm like, oh, this fucking guy, this fucking guy. Oh, this is going to be brutal. I hate this fucking guy so much. Delightful. She's mm. totally delightful, like funny, charming, good dad. I'm like, God damn it. God damn, I'm enjoying this guy. He's he's quipping. He's funny. He's like, you know, he's a little, a little heavy now. And I'm like, oh, I just hated myself so much at the end of that inning for how much I was enjoying his uh, badinage. Funny, you didn't like, you didn't want that from Brady, but in retrospect now, you do like it in Clemens now that he's a retiree. Hmm. I guess well, that, I guess that kind of lines up, right? Yeah, he didn't here's, do. Here's what I, here's what I would bet. Again, FanDuel, go to FanDuel, place this bet. Tom Brady being funny, plus 18,000 on FanDuel. <laughs> um, hey, before anything else, we, we mentioned that we're already 15 minutes in here. Uh, game four, another overtime, two out of four Stanley Cup finals uh, games have gone to uh, OT here. And I did say on social media, I, I had to avoid I, If I had real balls, I would have said take the under in that game because the previous three had gone over, but you could just feel it coming. They're not all going to go. Well, they could they could all go over, but it did uh, land at five, even with the extra frame. 
what though? And it was a great goal. Unfortunately, nobody in the joint seemed to know it from Sean McDonough, the play-by-play man. Do we have that spaghetti? And the lightning contest just to shoot it down. Hagel sent it down. All of those lightning players on for a minute and a half. Here's the quick counterattack. It's Padre back in action, denied by Vasilevsky. Oh, what a play! Colorado, or Colorado thinks this is in. I think it is in. We are looking for the signal from the officials. They're going to take a look at the replay for sure. They think they have won the game. And Vasilevsky is not arguing, although he's hoping for something from the video. Jared Bednar and the Avalanche convinced they have won. And in the moment, I texted you and Spaghetti and Hench that, and, and said, boy, that's the all-time wor- one of the worst play-by-play calls in history for a huge moment in the sport. Um, and uh, and he didn't know the goal. And then you go back and you look at the referees who are behind the goal. Neither one of them knew the puck was right in front of them, stuck in the goal, in the netting of the goal. And then you look at Vasilevsky. And by the way, I let him off the hook because he, for all he knows, the puck is in the stands now. He knows he doesn't have it, but um, he doesn't, He I, like people have given him like, oh, he's playing possum. Eventually, they're going to figure it out that uh, that you don't have the puck, man. <laughs> well, so stick it's with so that. Crazy. I went back and watched it a million times from every angle because Wes McCauley is on the goal line. So obviously, he sees the puck shot toward the goal. And then I know it tucked by the time it gets to the back of the net, it tucks up into the weirdest shelf. Like you just don't see that. But between it going under Vasilevsky's arm and getting stuck up on top of the shelf at the back of the net, it crosses through beyond like the red. You see the goalpost and then the black puck has to go into the mesh. And at every angle, you're like, how is he not looking for that exact result? So poor McDonough doesn't see it. But if the ref who's got a much better angle than Sean McDonough. If he sees it, then he goes with the finger to the net and McDonough can save himself. Somehow, I agree with you, Ferraro knew it. Like Ferraro is trying to save McDonough by saying like, that was an incredible play. And we're like, we're still like, what was an incredible play? Is it under Vasilevsky? Did he catch it in his teeth? Where's the puck? Like then... Go well, no, 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 no. The best, the best of all, and I, I, and as I said in the moment, I start to take McDonough to task, and then the officials, and then you see Kadri in the post game saying like, "Oh, I thought Vasilevsky had it," and now there are replays all over, and you can find them from ice level of Kadri thinks it's under him, and he kind of like hits his sticks on his knees, like, "Dang, he stopped me there," and his teammates start skating towards him, celebrating, and then he rejoices late like 10 seconds after the goal so even he didn't see it go in which is the most impossible of all because the puck i mean he's 10 feet away from the puck roofing on the into the net and he doesn't see it somehow it really is one of the most bizarre and i don't want to say unsatisfying because you win if you're the abs so i guess you're happy i mean you know i mean i'm not a neutral because i bet on the avalanche but for the neutral it is pretty unsatisfying if you're like overtime playoff hockey overtime Stanley Cup final hockey this is the greatest most intense sports gets 
And it ends with, huh, where's, does anyone know where the puck is? Yeah, it's in the net. And if you watch Macaulay skates behind, Macaulay, the linesman comes over, like Macaulay still does, never does anything particularly emphatic. Like he doesn't, he doesn't go, holy shit, I found it. It's in the net. He just kind of skates over and he leans on the back of the net. And I swear, if you watch the replay, it looks like Stamkos is is reaching for, like, is considering, he reaches with his glove, like, <laughs> he's considering, can I scoop this thing out and have it just kind of scooch under Vasilevsky? Like, is there a way? <laughs> but the ref is now standing over the puck. Anyway. Reverse Spaghetti Joe Mac- Negro when he throws the nail file away exactly. and almost gets away with it. with us. Just scoop the puck out of the net and then skate away. Spaghetti made the great call. You know, obviously it re, it, it reminded uh, him of Patrick Kane, which is really even worse, right? Because poor Doc Emmerich. I went back and listened to that. Doc Emmerich gets deked, so he he call he he like goes. He go. He thinks it's in. Then he goes. It's not in. Then he's just watching the Blackhawks gathering at center ice, and then he he adds like belatedly like, and it's a goal. Like it's so bad. It's so sad. But anyway, uh, in a similar circumstance of a of a puck. That's finding. a decade ago. That is a bummer for the league because the NHL has kind of broken through in a way ratings wise, and the NBA isn't looking great in terms of style of play, but it is dented a little bit by the lack of satisfying moment. Those are right. Patrick Kane. This is the perfect comp because that won the cup. So that one was worse. I I was thinking about most unsatisfying anticlimactic kind of endings to games that I can recall. The 2005 AFC title game, Bill Cowher, And the Steelers are a force in the AFC for a few years, but they can't get over the hump. They're much like his mentor, Marty Schottenheimer's teams, who are really good, but maybe get too intense and and are gripping the steering wheel too tight and, and can't get past underdog teams. And finally, they're about to get over the AFC mountain, but then Jim Harbaugh throws it into the end zone and Aaron Bailey for the Colts seems to catch the ball and Dick Enberg's like, he's, he's got it. Oh no, it's not incomplete, incomplete. And it just ruins the moment. Finally, Coward gets to a Super Bowl, but we can't really celebrate. Cause like, wait, are they going to have to review that? And are we going to lose on a hail Mary? Are we going to lose an AFC title game on a hail Mary? That was terrible. The 1972 men's Olympic basketball final where they replay it two or three times and the Soviets (laughs) end up winning it on a long lava, uh, 180 foot toss length of the court. Um, Some uh, seven footer catches the ball and lays it in. That was a that's a weird one. If you ever see the documentary, it's crazy. Um, And then every Super Bowl in the 80s, pretty much everyone was like was was 59 to three. So those games always stunk. If you didn't watch the title games that preceded them, you knew the Super Bowl was going to be a stinker. It was always a given that it was going to be a blowout. And uh, and almost always, if not 
exclusively by the NFC, whipping up on John Elway or otherwise. Hey, quick reminder, this baseball season, you can turn K's into cash and big hits into big wins with FanDuel. Right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just sign up. Place your first bet, and FanDuel is going to give you up to $1,000 back in free bets if you don't win. This is one of the many reasons there's no better place to place a bet on America's pastime than on America's number one sports book. All you do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up. And this is the most important part with the promo code minus three, the word minus the number three to get started with your no sweat first bet up to $1,000. What are you waiting for? Let's take a quick break. It's funny, I, my analogy, which might be, you know, too lurid even, even for this uh, adult-themed gambling podcast. Uh, I, you know, you say anti-climax, you throw anti-climax around, but what it reminds me of is like when you're trying not to climax with all your might, and then, you know, the, you just can't quite shut it down. So you just get the least satisfying it is just the it is so grim and then it's like oh yeah i guess i did so that's that's a wrap we're done yeah that's it for me i'm done no i didn't want Does that happen no, I, to you spaghetti i didn't of course <laughs> of course it's happened to him there's no dude who's like oh yeah this is going to be awesome 30 seconds of my lovers, you know, just the best time of her life. Like that's what was, that was my plan was 30 seconds. No, of course, every dude has gone like, whoa, 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 feather back, feather back on the throttle, big boy. Cause you got to make it past the minute mark. Are you kidding me? Uh, and then it's like, oh shit, I did not gauge the, the throttle right. And the, the, the dam has burst. And then, but it's just a pathetic little, like just a little tiny gauge, little. Gauge so, the throttle. That's not your name for the vagina, right? So, no, I, your throttle. The throttle. Is your okay. That's your joystick. But anyway, I got okay. so yeah. So then you're like, you know, so basically, <laughs> so basically, Kadri's teammates skate over to him and go, hey, you came. <laughs> what? No, and we're pregnant with a yeah. cup. You uh, did. You did. You did. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm excited. I didn't realize I had because oh, that explains my droopy ding dong. I can't. Okay, I can't. All right, great. that was good. Okay, see now you see you made that you, you humanized it much like Gronk did for Tom Brady. Now that makes it that people can relate to that, or at least uh, half the population can well, relate. You're to the that. one with the blue language anti-climax. Gross. No, you're right. No, I, I I walked you right into that one. Um, hey, here's another question. I mentioned Arch Manning and uh, him going to Texas now. I guess not that big a surprise because uh, Cutcliffe, the longtime coach, actually was Eli's college coach and coached up Peyton in advance of that. Now he's so he was staffed there, which I, I love when teams do that or when programs or whatever they bring in the coach. It's what didn't happen in in Denver. Oh yeah, we're gonna hire the coach. Well, Aaron Rodgers is obviously going to go wherever I go. Like, turns out it didn't. It didn't go that way. In this case, it does work out for Longhorns fans. Um, but people quickly, including uh, our pal here and a listener to Minus 3, Pat Griner, floats the question, why would Arch go there? Because Texas never yields NFL QBs who succeed. Only 
Bobby Lane and Vince Young are the only noteworthy guys to ever come out of uh, UT and go on to any level of success in the NFL. Is this one of those things, Hench, that is absolutely meaningless? Or do you believe, as I do, that there are a few weird poxes on certain teams and certain programs that that this it does bear watching? Like Chicago Bears Absolutely. quarterbacks, Jim McMahon's the best, or Jay Cutler's the best quarterback that the Bears have had in the Super Bowl era, 55 years in? I say absolutely meaningless. Okay. Uh, and good for Arch Manning to be like, it's it'll be meaningless when I'm the guy because I'm betting on, you know, like I, he's not going to do the, you know, like Kevin Durant doesn't bet on himself. He goes, I'm going to bet on those guys that won 73 games last year. Like Arch Manning's like, I don't care about the history because I'm the real deal. I'm it. So by the way, how about this campaign? Golden Arch Manning. It's McDonald's. It's a huge McDonald's campaign. He has to pretend that he eats that garbage. It'd be great. Anyway. NFT uh, it up, right? I think, think, well, I'm excited for a lot of reasons. One, you know, when – as you get older, right? So then we start living vicariously through our kids and a new report card starts. So like we've got our own report card, which is like, you know, Peyton and Eli, Hall of Fame, Cooper, eh, whatever, you know, good receiver, never, you know, injury. Okay. Um, But now it would be great if the new report card is, oh yeah, my kid's an All-American. How's, how's it going over there? How's it going over there? That, you know, because that is, you know, that's what, how we get graded, how your kid's doing, you know? And I'm constantly getting C's and D's in that respect. Kidding, of course. No, yeah, they, they, they aren't listening. Believe me, don't worry. The girls don't hear what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And by the way, we, uh, you know, going back to where we were a couple of minutes ago on the baby-making process, the final product in which Damashek inexplicably, one of the, the least macho guys you'll ever meet, clutches it gets when it comes to the most fundamental of all deeds a fella can commit, making babies. Um my children, people say, ah, so children, but doesn't it take away from your life? Yeah, in the here and now, if I were short-sighted, um, yeah, it, it, it is limiting what I can go out and do. But when I'm 71, I'm, I'll, I'll be dead in the water. What will I do, you know? But I'll live vicariously through the report card that's being put. They'll be in their prime when I'm an old man living for nothing except for them. That's why you, you have babies. By the way, it does remind me, I would love to dislike Peyton and Eli more um, because success feels like it came easy to me and now even more easily to Arch, the third generation. But I once talked to Archie and what a gentleman this guy was, is Archie. I, I, I said to him, I joked um, that, uh, you know, I said, two of your sons are Super Bowl MVPs. This is, uh, you know, how do you think that makes me and my sisters look to my parents, you know? And, and, and he said, Dave, and somehow he knew my, he knew my name. That, I mean, can you imagine that politician's trick of knowing your name? 15 well, minutes. Well, of course into- he knows your name. His Peyton has it on his no fly list. He posted <laughs> like, like they talk about you at dinner. Like you're, 
you're not going to talk to Dave Damashek, are you? Well, Fuck I'm, that I'm, guy. well, Pay, I'm going. I'm going to talk to him. I don't know if that's a good idea, but he said, but he, he's like, well, Dave. I'm sure your parents are awfully proud of you too. And I thought, oh my God, what a nice, nice man. So it's it's against my better judgment. I uh, I'm, I, I uh, wish the Mannings all the best because uh, Archie Arch is Manning, such a gentleman. Ar- the Archie Manning story. What Archie had to deal with with losing his dad to suicide. That moment where he you could zig or you could zag, and to just become the world's greatest dad. From that blueprint, it, it is like that. I will watch that three-hour biopic and be a sobbing mess at the end of it if it's done right. It, you know, I, I totally agree. His story, his accomplishment, makes it impossible to hate the fruit of his labor. Yeah, well, Coop, you know, Cooper, and then with the Cooper's neck injury, and uh, Coop went through a real tough time there, and uh, making Peyton go and apologize, driving him to the head coach's house to apologize for mouthing off and practice earlier that day. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, a great man, Archie, uh, absolutely. And now it reminds me of something, like I say, we talked about, earlier in the week is guys who force change via their dominance or teams or coaches or otherwise. Anyone to float out their hench of guys who belong on that short list of by virtue of what they did. Like I say, Bill Walsh changed his football. You know, Vince Lombardi deserves a lot of credit. Bill Belichick deserves a lot of credit. Um, Chaz Knoll and otherwise. But Bill Walsh stands above everybody else in my book because he fundamentally altered the way the last 35, 40 years of, of the game have been played with the West Coast offense. You know, Joe Montana probably doesn't deserve as much credit. And in fact, I'll say here and now, Bill Walsh is the guy who was the essential item of those 49ers teams. Um, anyone out there, because what I hearken back to is Arch, SEC, all that, and SEC played a certain kind of ball versus West Coast versus Big Ten and otherwise. We went with... Randy Moss, New Jersey Devils, Mel Blunt, and so on. Anyone you want to throw out there for well, changing it's funny, a game? You, you know, because the so we, you know, we've watched Bobby Orr highlights. We've seen him carry the puck, and then you mentioned the the Devils ruining hockey. I these playoffs, Kale McCarr, this this thing, like a lot of times it's hard to break out of your own zone, right? Like you have to, you know, chip it up the boards, win that 50-50 battle, dump it into the middle of the ice, just kind of move it up the ice. This thing where you go, oh, no, no, no. If it, at any point it touches Kale McCarr's stick, he's just going to skate it out of the zone from behind his own net. And it's funny because I'm so used to, you know, various limited Bruins defensemen that I'm like, get rid of the, what are you doing? You got to get rid of the puck. You can't, you can't basically take on a guy one-on-one in front of your net with the puck. Like you got to send that up the boards. He just sheds his man every time. He just two strides and he's in the neutral zone. Like watching him as a one-man breakout, like there, you don't have to, you don't have to do any tic-tac-toe. You don't have to win any 50-50 battles because this freak can just gather the puck and beat every guy on his way up the ice. And, and now the puck's in deep. And, and I really do watching him. It's funny because 
McDavid had so many great, great, you know, end-to-end runs in these playoffs, and McKinnon's had quite a few too. But just on a possession-by-possession basis, this McCarr, it just feels like that's an unfair advantage. Um, You know, it's like Otani. Uh, He he also is going to strike out 13 guys? What's going on? You know, McCarr just just can carry the puck seemingly past any forechecker. I'm glad you say that because I feel hyperbolic sometimes about McCarr, but I do think, like, you know, it's not a new thing from Carlson and Burns and – um, the other Carlson and Latang, and now there's Adam Fox and so on. I do think, to your point, Makar is the number one. Uh, is the number one now? And by the way, I want to talk about hyperbolic. If there were a draft right now, are we a hundred percent sure that every GM goes Connor McDavid over Kale Makar? I know that's a, maybe a little loco. Um, but given the position, I do think that you're going to see teams because you had to have. One of the guys I just named, you know, if you wanted to be relevant year after year, you needed to have that quarterback, you know, in the offensive zone on the power play, a a great skating defenseman. But I think now you're going to see in the next decade, teams are going to obsess over this. And it's not enough to have one of those guys. You want to have one per pair. I really do think that the best teams that you're going to see winning cups in the next decade are going to have like three or four great skating defensemen going forward. Um but anyway, answer my question. Am I get, am I going too far by saying uh, that would, McCarr might take, be? I would take McCarr over McDavid, hmm. and, and part of it is you know I'd rather have the the dominant force for thirty minutes a game than twenty minutes a game. You know, just hmm. that extra right. zhuzh. And you know, I mean, McDavid is obviously special, but we've seen it our whole lives. This thing of like. If you just send out Noel Achari, if you just send out a guy who's like, your only job is to stop these guys. You're you're going to dump the puck. You're never going to try to score. You're just going to do the clutch and grab. Like we've seen a lot of superstars neutralize. Now, thankfully, that didn't happen in these playoffs, but it's like it feels easier to shut down a team's top line than it does to stop what K- what Kale McCarr does. Right, just dominate the puck, spaghetti. You you tossed your head back. You disagree? I would not. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I I, I know I sound like a broken record. I'm not trying to hate on Kel McCarr. I know I'm wearing a BU shirt. He went to UMass. Like I love players that go to the college hockey. Here. I think it's great. Um, but McDavid is far and away the best player in sports in any of the four major sports, and he can wow. carry team by himself. Wow, that's I, a I, that's a fun I, list. All I, of a sudden, you bring up the best. He's the most dominant yeah, player sure. in team sports in I America. think we're also North like, America he carried a team like I said look at any of these playoff teams if you took Kale McCarr off the avalanche they're still probably in the cup like I I they oh no, no no I def- no I, did, I, no. I think that the Oilers would be so far out of a playoff position and again like there are I like Kale McCarr we're, we're in a world that people value offense they don't they, but he plays the position called defenseman so I just worry that you're going to see him become more of like a Mike Green type where he all of a sudden he's making he's taking chances and he's bringing the puck in deep and he's not really being responsible and I think there's a lot of examples of really good defensemen in this league now that are responsible ways I'm not saying that he's not but I'm saying it could go that way and also he's five foot eight he's like 180 pounds like he's a smaller guy if you're going to take him first overall you got to hope that he's going to be like a Wait, Kale McCarr's 5'8"? Yeah, he's very tiny. 
I didn't know he was that little. Yeah. So it's it's just there's a lot. I mean, look, he's he's electric right now, and he but he's playing on a very talented team. Like if you put him on a maybe a more uh, you know you put him on the Red Wings or something, he may not be doing what he's doing right now. And whereas I think McDavid, no matter where McDavid is, McDavid will make that team better by himself. Uh, again, not hating on McCarr. I've been rooting for the Avalanche. He's going to win the he won the Norris Trophy, well deserved. Although I probably would have voted for Roman Yossi just for what he did with the national team, um, being their leading point scorer as a defenseman been the first player to break uh, like the 90-point threshold in national history, but I I just think that he, we're kind of a little prison in the moment right now with, with Kel McCarr. That's just well, my take. Again, well, he's only in his second year fully, so I mean, he's, you know, I think that he has room We've seen a lot of these still. guys, like we, you mentioned the tank, we've seen Eric Carlson come in, like we've seen guys that are, like I, I want to see Kel McCarr chase down guys, break them, like break up plays. I wanted to see him be responsible. I know he isn't the highlight reel and I'm great. It's, I'm so glad he's doing this because it's making hockey a fun, watchable sport. Um, and, and whereas the NBA was so bad, these playoffs, like I think it's awesome. I'm, I'm glad it's on the four letter network and TNT. Like I, it's awesome. He but, forces uh, though, by his style of play. And I mentioned the guy that came before him and Fox deserves a shout out too but that style of play to my point about like impacting the sport and the way it goes across the league every team now is incented like you you ain't gonna score enough to hang with a team if your uh, defenseman can't jump in effectively in the offensive zone and and make plays and create chances I think it's very easy to play on a d- defense on a team that could score seven goals a night with these all-star lineups. Like, I mean, their top nine is loaded. And it's just, and they also have other good defensemen too. Taze himself is another great player, probably a first pairing guy on another team. Like, they have a loaded lineup. And I just think that I would not be shocked if, he, if Water kind of finds his level with him. And then you see the guys who are better both ways, like an Adam Fox, all, you know, you, then you start to value them a little bit more. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, the funny part about that, uh, that presentation was that Spaghetti actually lost his own argument right at the beginning of the of his pitch. He says, okay, uh, Connor McDavid is better than Kale McCarr. In fact, I believe the Avalanche would still be in the finals without Kale McCarr. Oh, so the Avalanche without Kale McCarr would have beaten Connor McDavid. So the best player in the world would lose to the Avalanche without their best player in the playoffs. But the rosters aren't comparable. The rosters are not, the rosters are not comparable. And as bad as Kemper is, like, I mean, Mike Smith had an all time bad playoffs. As Sheck has pointed out that, that the reports of the limitations of that Oilers lineup are exaggerated. You know, dry is a great player. Uh, Hyman and Kane had good playoffs. Nurse is a nice player. Like it's like it, it the pretending that McDavid is doing it all by himself is not true. And I, you know, obviously he's he's you know the best forward in the league. I just think you know, and having watched to to your point, it, it, the product is so good. I've watched so much this year. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to tune in for a Flames Oilers nine six? shootout. It's incredible. Um, I just think the reason McDavid is not going to raise the cup over his head and Kale McCarr is, is because Kale McCarr uh, is is uh, a better player for what you want to do. Which well, is and also my uh, my longstanding thing about running backs in, in uh, fantasy football applies here. Gold is precious because it's rare, which is rare. Uh, a high skill, uh, Connor McDavid's the best forward, but 
that's more replaceable than what Kale McCarr is doing. But I also think that, again, the Odell Beckham one-handed catch, nobody could do that until one guy did it, and then everybody could do it. Steph Curry can't make 30-foot threes until one guy shows you could do it. Now, a lot of guys shoot the ball from well beyond the arc like that. I think you're going to see McCarr's impact in the next decade going to be like, oh, yeah, offense. I mean, the offensive defenseman is the must-have if you want to be relevant in the NHL. Now, that leads us to our picks for Game 5 and perhaps beyond. There is some value if you think that the Lightning can do what most people have written off their chances of doing in the high altitude of Denver, a team that looks gassed and is long in the tooth and all of that. There is value if you want to take it as a six-game series, agnostically, just a number of games in the series. If you go game six, uh, six games or seven games, there's some nice juice to be had at FanDuel, I'm sticking with my Avs five games and out pick. Um, Hench, give us your pick for game five. Why don't you? Well, it, you know, it's, it's funny. I've been saying, you know, I said it, I said it against the Leafs. Uh, I said it against the Rangers. Eventually I'll be right. Uh, you know, I just said these, these deep runs into the 105 degree summer in Florida at some point, it has to catch up to this lightning team that just keeps defying the odds. Like they just keep battling back over and over again. But I would say if there was a symbolic metaphorical moment, it was how gassed Sergachev was on Kadri's goal. Right. If, if I've been saying like it, it, these extra games over three years, like you're playing, a, you're playing an extra season. Like it's just, these games go on for, you know, overtime, Vasilevsky unbeatable and back-to-back games. And so I feel like, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna kill the champs, like that moment where, where Sergachev just could not get his legs to, to churn. He could not, that, that felt like the moment where the King is dead. So I, I do think the Lanch close it out. I uh, Yes, I will uh, stick with that one. Fingers crossed. I have McKinnon and McCarr, three goals each in the series. I do. Th- I, here's, here's, here's a good one. We'll see when the numbers come out with uh, player performance plus parlays that you can get at FanDuel. McKinnon, two goals and an Avs win um, is going to be my play for game five. Spaghetti, how say you? Yeah, I'm sticking with the Avs to win this. Like I said, in the various pods on extra points, I, I thought if they won game two of the Avalanche, this could be a shorter series and go five games. And they, they did what I said, lose the the game three, win the game four, build a little bit of momentum, and they'll win the game five back in front of their home crowd. Uh, in terms of goal scores, I mean, getting Kadri back is huge, and you got pretty decent odds on him to score again. Maybe he's plus 94, so almost at plus 200 there um, for a guy who probably wants a little redemption from the way his goal was scored the winner. Um, having him back is, is great. Uh, Mika Rantanen, too, is another guy who's probably, you know, a little bit of a dark horse we were talking about before to be the uh, the Conn Smythe winner, although I don't think it's going to go to him. It's going to go to McCarr instead, but he's plus 152, Rantanen to score there. And if you do like McCarr, the eventual I think Rantanen's the fun play. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you're looking for a fun one that isn't McKinnon, well, obviously McKinnon's not going to get it short of a hat trick, and even then he probably wouldn't get it. McCarr's the uh, prohibitive yeah. favorite. But yeah, Rantanen's the one guy mm-hmm. who might steal it. But yeah, McCarr's well, plus two. Well, too, if yeah. 
if he gets a couple of goals in game five, his point total will be hard to sleep on too. If he's the, the hero of game five, he might end up uh, getting that one too. Yeah. And I, uh, and, and McCarr's plus 235 to score there. And I think the way that game four started where it was, I, I felt like lightning could have scored three, four goals in the first few minutes of that game. I think it's going to be the reverse. I think the avalanche are going to come out really hot. They're going to come out firing uh, on Vasilevsky. They're going to score uh, scored by him. They were getting, Good looks, the Avalanche, but they weren't putting shots on net um, in, in the beginning part in that first period of, the, of Game Four, and I think it's going to be it looks a little bit different. It's going to flip, and I think they're going to just you know a total onslaught, and I think this game's going to kind of be over in the first half of this game. We're going to uh, let them hoist the cup in, the, in this next game. By the time, you know, I, don't know, I don't go ahead. I don't know how much like you know Vegas like how they just get those numbers. They just weigh them, but. One thing, like in terms of Shex, McKinnon's two goals in an avalanche victory or, or a McCarr goal, one thing that you could easily see is you know if if Colorado's up 4-2 with four minutes left, that goalie's coming out, right? So if you look at McKinnon and McCarr specifically, right. Right, those are guys, when they get the, the puck on their stick, very hard to keep them from getting where they want to be on the ice. So, you know, if, if you're stuck on one goal with McKinnon, if you do Sheck's bet and it's four, two with four minutes left, you've got a very good shot at getting that empty netter to, to put you over the top. Uh, I always think that's interesting. Say, you know, same with over under bets. It's like, obviously Cooper is going to throw everything at it. And, you know, you could, you could see, a very early Vasilevsky pull late in that the, the Geico five minute uh, warning. I agree. Like we talked about this, this marveling at like, how, what, what is uh, to, what are these inflated goal totals? Uh, analytics goalies now, I mean, uh, coaches now yank the goalie when you're down two with five minutes left in regular season games. Yeah. That's going to lead to more goals. However, the total in game five remains where it's been throughout the series six. I did point out the potential anomaly of game four. I think this one's going over, even if it's the home team scoring seven, um, I, I, I wouldn't not I wouldn't be surprised talking about anticlimactic ends if this is an Avs uh, housing of the Lightning because Cooper in the post game crying about too many men on the ice it felt like he understood that that was the moment and it felt like if you were watching the game that the Lightning understood this was the series I mean they were all over the ice literally laying uh, prone blocking shots and everything else. McKinnon was really struggling, as has been true for a lot of the series, um, to just get pucks through to the net onto Vasilevsky. I think that the Lightning understood the moment that they had to get this one even before they headed back to Denver. They didn't. I think uh, we see the cup, and I also think we've seen our last competitive sport, non-baseball sporting event until football's here, Hench. It's almost here, though. Well, we that, Thank you, NBA and NHL, for, for extending it into almost July with relevant sports to watch. And now on the other side, we'll blink our eyes. July 4th will happen and then we'll open our eyes and we can be talking about football and no one will be bothered by like, you guys uh, are really pushing it. Uh, well, one quick comment about Cooper's comment. Okay. So anyone who's watching that game sees Hedman get taken down, but it's at his own blue line. You know, you're like, uh, we, we're, we're in swallow the whistle mode. We're not going to give you a power play in a tie game if you get tripped on a non-goal scoring opportunity. 
So everyone knows uh, the Lightning got F there. Then Kadri gets taken down on a definite goal scoring opportunity. I mean, he is moving into the slot. He is going to have nothing but Vasilevsky to shoot at. He gets taken down from behind. They go, well, that was a goal scoring opportunity, but we know we owe you one from the Hedman non-goal scoring opportunity. So we're just going to swallow both whistles and call it even. With that in mind, Imagine calling that too many men on the ice penalty. Imagine calling that after what you have just not called. A guy skating, skating to the bench. Oh, oh. yeah, it looks like he's five and a half feet from the bench, not participating. That would have been such an insane call. So for Cooper to invoke it is weak. It is weak. Like, and my analogy would be like, oh, you know, if I'd go, well, first of all, coach, what what if somebody called that against you in, in a tie overtime finals game? Too many men on the ice. The guy wasn't quite close enough. As Kadri, as the puck is is sitting in yeah. the roof no of goal. the net. Like, Power oh, no, no, play. we whistled it dead anyway. So don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> and that would have been insane. And like, I just keep thinking this week, as I'm sure many people have, like, okay, so Trump calls Raffensperger and he, and he goes, hey, you know, I'm going to need 11,780 votes. What if Ravensburger goes, you got it, boss. You know what I'll do? Tomorrow, I'll hold a press conference and I'll say, we recalculated. Trump won Georgia by one vote. No problem. That's what I'll say. I'll go have a press conference. I'll say you you won by how many votes do you need? Tell me the number again. I'll just say you won by you won by one vote. You just need enough to win by one vote, right? That'll fly. That sounds like a good plan. Well, how fucking dumb are you? Well, how fucking dumb are you? I'm going to say you won. I was wrong. And get this, guys. Are you sitting down? Trump won Georgia by one vote. That's Turns out we hey, missed. Wow, we missed is, hey, look, I'm, as the secretary of state who's done five hand recounts, I'm as surprised as you are that it turns out uh, Trump won by one vote. Then Fucking Ron Johnson is trying to hustle the fake elector slates to Mike Pence on the day. On the day, he's like, get get these get these to Mike Pence. What if Mike Pence did go? Oh, I've I've just been handed um some eight and a half by eleven papers. Uh, that turns out uh, Trump won won Wisconsin and Michigan, and he's still president. Uh, we we are convened like what what these plans like are so insane. And so, uh, of course, their their other plan, as John Eastman said, was like, well, who cares? There's been violence throughout the history of our country. Who cares? So there'd be some violence. Who cares? It's it's anyway that that uh, that's how bad John Cooper's sour grapes were. <laughs> what if they fucking called that? Too many men on the ice penalty. Well, what you oh. realize is, yes, it's funny because it, uh, I'm trying to connect it to sports somehow, but it is funny the way um, when you create to, to that uh, to, to what he was trying to do there, just creating the perception. It does put a stink a little bit on the abs because there is a percentage of the hockey world now that's going back and counting the players on the ice and whether or not it would have been a valid call or not. 
it now dings the moment for Colorado a little bit. And it, the sour grapes, as you say, is right. It, there are plenty of Avs fans who are now saying, F you, Cooper. But, I mean, there are people who are saying, like, well, rightly, they should have called it that way. And it does injure the quality of the moment. If Sean McDonough and company didn't blow it, that stuff at the in the postgame does spoil a little bit. And I know Spaghetti wants to mention Mike Sullivan doing that after – Game seven against uh, against the Rangers. Well, I don't I don't have to rip into him, but I I will say and you guys were talking about this earlier too. And like I was just saying before, the NBA playoffs were bad. And I don't want to bother people who are NBA fans, but it wasn't that good. Every game was so far apart, and the NHL has been great and has been better with ratings. And the last thing we need is like weird finishes, like we had coaches complaining in like almost every series about something rules, uh, you know, like goalie interference, for example, being like up in the air and questioning. Like, just just get this stuff figured out because I want everyone to enjoy. This. The sport that now it's actually on a channel that you have and you can see it and it is being promoted. So like that's my quick little PSA and just please NHL like the stop of this because we don't need it. But I'll say this though, I, it's easy to say and in the moment like on the replay in in real time I thought like ah quiet down Lightning fan that's the fans that wasn't a penalty on Landeskog and then you look at the replay like oh that's well after the puck goes by that was interference on Hedman they should have called it and Kadri that should have been called but then again you know well the NHL at a certain point in the third period in a tight game they swallow the whistle and people say that's garbage that's garbage league stuff and you should call it but again the other side of it is it would be unsatisfying if you lost because a team got a power play with four minutes to go in regulation, and that was the margin of victory because they scored a goal there. I'm not 100% sold. I don't know what the answer is. I guess you have to call the correct call is the bottom line as a man of justice. Well, but I do funny. I do get the, the sentiment that, like, ah, we don't want to decide this. Let them decide it. I, I do. I mean, look, the, obviously it's not as egregious as soccer where it's like, Oh, the game's over. You just gave him a penalty. This guy's definitely going to score. I mean, you can kill a penalty in hockey. You're, yeah, you're, doomed, in soccer. you're doomed in soccer. But um, I would say this. I do like the moving it to goal scoring opportunities. Like I do like that slide that they do. The, the other problem though, is they still, they can't, High sticking, they still have to call it. So you can have some pretty incidental mm. stick sliding up the shaft and clipping a guy in the neutral zone, <laughs> like no scoring opportunity. It's like, sorry, man, the blade caught him. We got to call that. There's blood um, on his face. What do you want us to do? But I would I would say this to, to Butcher Spaghetti's point. Okay, six NBA Finals games, not a single interesting possession in the final two minutes of any of them. Hmm. Not a single, I mean, not a single game came down to the last two minutes. I mean, most of them were over with eight minutes left. And in terms of product, you're watching these, these end to end overtime games in hockey. And you're just like, this, this is incredible. This is, this is unbelievable. It's so tense, even, even for the neutral or the gambler, um, because you know, uh, wh- who was it? It was, uh, it was flames. God, it was, I think it was flames Oilers. Um, and one of them hit the post and it was in their own net, like 4.8 seconds later. I mean, that's hockey. That's, it's just insane. Uh, and so, you know, Burkowski and Kadri with the two overtime goals, this, this could easily, this series could be inverted three, one, the other way. Yeah, touche. Um, couple more things, Hench. Um, one, uh, 
Big news to me, ironically, not to you. Your beloved New England Patriots, though, announced earlier in the week that they're bringing back the glorious Pat Patriot uniforms. Level of interest, one through ten. Um, For me, it's a ten out of ten. It's one of the best the top three or four throwbacks you could possibly pull out of the NFL closet, and now the Patriots are doing the right thing. Even Tom Brady is disgusted he didn't get to wear it more. I love those uniforms. Um, I would I would wear uh, the Miami Heat day glow uniforms if it meant we had a weapon on the outside. I'm much more concerned with Mac Jones's no regression. Mac Jones is going to regress and everyone's going to be like, I guess this guy's not the real deal. And it's like, yeah, no one's open. No one's open. Yeah. So but their but- uniforms are beautiful. Yeah. I wish that <laughs> uniform could get a little further away from the guy in the other uniform, but I needed some separation. Beautiful red uniform. You notice that the dolphin uniform is right on top of it. You can't see the red uniform because nobody can get fucking open because we just refuse to have playmakers. All right. So. You're not in a steep, but listen, uh, let me just say to everybody who, who knows that, uh, that the uniform, it knows his stuff. The thing that doesn't get celebrated enough about the New England Patriots retro getups is, yes, they you'll see them in Foxborough and they'll come out with the nice white hat and the Bill Belichick lookalike revolutionary soldier snapping the ball between his legs and all of that. And we'll all swoon. The red pants on the road. Now, that's the ticket. That's maybe the best road uniform in all of pro football. And we're not going to get to see that. Bring those back. And in fact... If I'm not mistaken, you're in Heinz Field. I, as an emissary from the banks of the Three Rivers, invite you, nay, demand, Patriots, when you show up, come out onto the field with the white jersey and the red pants or shame the devil. That's what I, that's my request. I'm over the moon about this, and I hope uh, we get to see a lot more of these, including the one that people don't mention enough, the royal blue Dallas Cowboys. Not the Navy one, you understand, that, that Danny White and company first broke out in the early 80s. I'm talking about the one you saw in Super Bowl V against Johnny U and Earl Morrill, that royal blue that Chuck Howley and company wore out there on their way to a loss, but he won the uh, the uh, game MVP. Hench, here's another one for you. Long-standing parlay, and I don't know exactly how we'll define this. Chet Holmgren. We don't know what team he's on at the time of this recording, but you've seen enough of this kid, this string bean, 111 pounds, seven foot one, or whatever he is. Is he a good, great, mediocre, or bust of a pro basketball player? Well, I, I'm I'm always I'm always wrong on this score. And and I, you know, I didn't I didn't say Durant would be a bust, but I was like, how is that body going to translate to the rough and tumble NBA? And uh, quite well, it turns out hmm. quite well. Um, now, Holmgren is taking it to an even more ridiculous level. Right. I mean, now 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 you're 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 spreading spreading those those ninety five pounds over, you know, more inches, seven feet worth of inches. Um you know, you read you read why he's going to go two overall to the Thunder. Maybe he already has. Um, whenever you're listening to this, and I'm like, you know, watching these finals games, watching these playoffs, I'm like, okay, they're and they'll say they'll go like, you know, you know, great, you know, defensive presence on the interior. He can stretch the floor, and I'm like, really against against grown ass men? I don't believe it. So I 
put me in the, you know, 14 and six, you know, rebounds. Like I don't, that guy is not going to be a, a transformational player in the NBA. I'm sorry. Also, and back to the point about Arch Manning going to Texas where there's no history. How many Gonzaga guys have, have been relevant NBA players? You know, that this Gonzaga run we feel like started, you know, 15 minutes ago, not five minutes ago. But, you know, this Mark Few, not dynasty, but I guess, you know, regionally it is a dynasty in this anomalous team. Like, what the hell is a Gonzaga um, kind of thing, but it doesn't yield NBA guys. And so people are kind of glossing uh, over that. It feels like too. You think they're moving up in class from St. Mary's? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's a valid uh, concern that people have, especially if you saw Gonzaga play in the tournament in March, it didn't, it didn't look like you could hang with that level of competition. So spaghetti, your, yeah. your prediction here. I, if I was drafting first overall, I'd probably even take, I'd probably take Ben Caro. I know Jaden Ivey's had a lot of buzz too, and I guess you can't go wrong with Smith. But I, I just, uh, yeah, I'm like kind of with with Hench here. I mean, you need to add on some pounds. But then again, the NBA is a, a shooting league. It's I, I would say he's not going to be the best player in this draft. I'm I'm confident in saying that. That's a good way to yeah. assess it, right? And it's the way the NBA goes these days. I mean, you're, the. It's not like an NFL draft where they're like third round steals. They're like, it feels like there are four guys that are good. Like three years from now, you'll look back at the top 15 NBA draft picks and be like, oh yeah, that guy, remember him? That was a silly pick the team made. It feels like the biggest crap shoot outside of a couple of guys year after year in the NBA draft. Here's the question. Here's the question. Shot goes up. Who's more, who's the most likely to get the rebound? Skinny freak Chet Holmgren, wide body coach Mike Holmgren, or flyer scumbag Paul Holmgren. <laughs> I, I don't think Chet gets the rebound. Does Paul get to have his stick? Because if he does, yeah. I'm going to go with him. I, I could see him pulling some shenanigans. Like when he cross checks Chet, Chet actually breaks in half. There is actually two pieces of Chet, both of which are six feet tall. Easy for me to say because the style of play that my favorite hockey team adopted when they drafted Mario Lemieux and it has endured and they play into that. They're all about their stars and have been um, for, you know, 40 years now. On some level, I admire the Flyers because they're scumbags that they're like, who's out there? We're, we got to we got to turn John Tortorella. Perfect. Well done, Flyers. I don't know. The, the rest of the league has left you guys in the dust for uh, long ago. They left it, but we're sticking with it. We're the broad. That's our ID. That's who that's who we are. OK, I as a rival of yours applaud it. And I and I hope Tortorello has a nice long run there and you guys stay nice and mediocre at best. I, I, I think that's terrific. Now, um, U.S. Open in the books, Hench. And uh, I love the guy. I don't want to get up on Mount Pius, but I love love the media sweating these dopes um, about their decision, the morality and otherwise. And they don't want to answer it. And Brooks Kepka in advance, like, you're ruining the tournament. And then lo and behold, as soon as the U.S. Open wraps up, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on the live tour now, too, as it turns out. And, and you know, my beef, and I'll just say it again, but a lot of people have, have picked up on, on the same thoughts, is like, 
What are the stakes? What do we watch? What do we care for? Like, we, we don't, you know, exhibition football isn't exciting to people who care about the games that matter. So why would exhibition golf? They don't, first of all, it's not like the pressure. It's why I don't like the skins game when the best guys used to. Do. I don't think they do that anymore, even. Um, it's like, well, they're standing up. Well, this putt is worth $150,000. Yeah, the pocket change to these guys. There's no pressure on them. If you give me $150 million to join your tour, then there is no pressure at the 18th hole. Uh, on the final round of your tournament because I'm already rich. So I'm not putting for anything and, you know, removing the money factor of it. There is no green jacket. There's no claret jug. So what exactly are we watching just to see like, these are the best in the world at their thing. Like, all right, that's kind of interesting. It's like watching BP. I go into the ballpark an hour early so you can catch Aaron judge hit long home runs. Like that is cool for, you know, for like four minutes, and then after that, it wears. I'm like, all right, great. Yeah, I knew they were great athletes. I'm, I, I knew they could hit uh, the, they could hit their drives 320 yards. How say you though, on uh, where the live tour is and and the well, damage it's I doing? I had this thought, like you know the, you know, I was like, gosh, what if, what if Mohammed bin Salman had chopped up a Christian missionary in Turkey? What if a Christian missionary was in Turkey spreading the word of Christ? you know, uh, trying to make the world a better place. And then uh, MBS said, not on my watch, because by the way, I, I'm sure you can guess what the penalty in Saudi Arabia is if you convert from Islam to Christianity. It's a wild guess what the penalty is in Saudi Arabia for becoming a Christian. Yeah, you it's get kicked off death. The, you it's, get kicked off death. the live tour? Oh, by no, the I way, I'm sure, I'm sure death covers the first thousand infractions, speeding, <laughs> parking ticket. So- so what? Yeah. So what if you chopped up a Christian missionary? Would these would these presumably you know Christian nationalist golfers go? Well, that's not cool. That that's no good. He, he killed a Christian missionary, and it's like. But I'm guessing they don't give a shit about the free press. They don't have any way of connecting the idea of how freedom and democracy and the press is what made you rich. They don't think so. They just think I fucking can hit a two iron you know, 300 yards. That's what made me rich. Um, so they're going to go uh, uh, soil themselves with this, with this fucking scumbag. And by the way, I thought the 9-11 families, I thought that letter was very well put, very poignant, thanking the PGA members for not uh, siding with this brutal regime. And I know people are like, hey, whatever, fucking Biden's going to go beg for, for oil. Yeah, Governments have to do horrible shit like that. Guys who are already rich don't have to lie down with this fucking scumbag. And I would make I would make the, the penalty, the the 10 year ban. If you if you want to do that, go ahead. It's a 10 year ban. Now, do I want to buy Titleists or tailor made golf clubs or ping or fucking get a rocket mortgage? From any of these fucking scumbags, any of these fucking guys who want to lie down with MBS? No, thanks. No, thanks. What do you endorse? Not interested. You're a fucking scumbag. So that endorsement money should go away. It should it should go to the Rory McIlroy's of the world. Now, let's start to weigh the money a little bit. Wait a minute. I don't want you in my fucking Nike commercial. You're a scumbag. That's how you get them. That's right. 
right? So, okay, that money should go away. Now you're like, mm, this, this appearance fee is pretty big. It's more than I made in the PGA Tour. But if I lose my Rocket Mortgage endorsement, I lose my Nike sponsorship, woo, my number's starting to go down. And hopefully what happens is these fucking short-sighted scumbags will all be revealed for who they are, selfish pieces of shit with no morality whatsoever, and they will realize it was also stupid financially. That the moral move was also the smart financial move. So the only thing you care about, obviously, is money. And you blew that too, you stupid fucking golfer. Well, the thing that, that, that saves it in perception, from what I can tell, is the Masters, well, so far the U.S. Open and now the British Open don't want to conduct their tournaments without these guys because it dings their tournament. So they let them in. And I, but I don't think, I don't want to give them, I don't want to give Phil Mickelson or otherwise the credit of having done this math in advance. Like I'm still going to be able to play the four majors. I know they said they thought they'd be able to, but they had to know they were really risking that as it happens though, for ratings and otherwise and prestige, it's not as good for the U S open and, and the majors. If those guys don't show up and that's vexing to me. Cause that's, that's the answer. It's like, if you remove yourself from that, you can't claim to care about, I mean, like we laughed about last week, Phil Mickelson talking about like, I think they're going to grow the game of golf and that's a good thing. Oh, shut up. Please don't jive us and yourself with that nonsense too. You're doing it because of the money, but it really lays bare what, you know, how soulless it is. If it's like, well, yeah, I know I don't get to play the masters and the tournaments that only that, that, are the only tournaments anybody cares about, but I did get a little bit more money, but I think you're right. That is the solution is to, you know, you're allowed to do what you want to do, but there are also consequences to what you do. Ergo Titleist, Nike, and otherwise we're not putting our money behind you. And it's weird almost that they have that those brands haven't pulled out. Some have though, some, so it's starting to happen. Um, I just, uh, but by the way, I know the names are good. They're not, you know, Who's the best spaghetti? Who's the best name on that thing now? Brooks? Kepka? Getting Kepka's a big one. Yeah. I mean, he's probably up there. But like Lady Macbeth, like you cannot wash it off you. Yeah. You can't wash it off you once you take one check. And by the way, if MBS offered me a billion dollars to do punch up for his remarks for his next beheading, I would say <laughs> fuck off. Like, I mean, how much fucking money do you guys need? Go fuck yourself. That's what interesting because people would make the case where everybody would take the money if it was offered to you. It's easy to, to moralize about giant heaps of loot when it's somebody else doing it. You in that position would take the money. You're saying you would not take it under any circumstance. Because like DJ and Brooks Kepka, blessedly, I don't need money. I've got money. Like, how would someone now if you need money and you can't pay your mortgage and MBS is the only game in town to to write your after dinner jokes, you know, I get it. But like, Jesus Christ, you're already rich. How fucking immoral are you? You're not allowed to say Jesus Christ in front of him. That's also a beheading. Yeah, I I would be beheaded no matter the check wouldn't clear. Interesting point about a Christian missionary or even like a Fox News host like that would resonate more, you know, like, wait, what happened to Tuck? Well, no, well, that 
that's too much. Um, anyway, listen, what uh, what great fun. Well, I mean, dark, but fun and sexual. We got it all. We, we covered all the bases today, Eddie Spaghetti, I think, uh, thanks to Kevin Hench as usual um, with the insights there. Oh, we could go on and on, couldn't we? But we have football. It's nice. So we'll dig in on that. We'll respond to the draft and otherwise we'll let Kevin Hench get his weekend going and uh, look forward to kibitzing with him again uh, on the other side of the weekend. Spaghetti, your thoughts as we wrap things up here. Uh, the two final things I wanted to say. One, um, I guess I was a little, I was slightly off on McCarr's uh, uh, height. I looked it up just to double check. I was right about his weight. He isn't like in the 180 range, but he's probably closer he's to 5'10". He's six foot five. tall. He's closer he? to 5'10", 5'11". But um, still, he's a string beam. But I, I, again, I'm not trying to hate on the guy. But um, I, He's 21, I, though, too. He's going to If he fills out, then, you know, if, and then that's, that's great for him. And the other thing too back to the the quarterback thing with the arch man going to texas i mean it's like the best quarterbacks in the nfl now it's it, there was no track record for texas tech there was no track record for university like montana like for josh allen so i think it's just a random thing and somebody has to be the first and it's not like you know ohio state's another example a historically good school not a lot of great quarterbacks coming out of there either so i would not if i was arch manning i would not be worried about that i think the only thing he has to worry about is make sure he goes first or second in the draft to follow the steps uh, of archie payton and eli I agree with you, but I do I do love the mystery of why certain franchises or schools can't solve something for decades. Random. Flyers goalies. Since Bernie Perrant got poked in the eye and then Ron Hextall had some nice years there, why the Flyers for some reason can't ever solve the goaltending situation is uh, is intriguing to me. But uh, anyway, another great week of uh, podcasting here on Minus 3 and Extra Points. Make sure you head over to the extrapoints.com site. Play against us and with us in the arcade. Bet with us or against us. FanDuel.com slash Minus 3 is how you do that. Like I mentioned at the top, great podcast with Scott Pianowski to go back and listen to, especially if you love your sports history. I think you'll get a kick out of that and uh, for Hench and Eddie Spaghetti and everybody at the Extra Points Network. We'll talk to you on the other side of the sports weekend. Until then, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven.